It is 12 after the hour. I am Eric Erickson. This is Atlanta's Evening News on WSB. Y'all, it was um, more than two hours earlier to try to get home. Uh, I was, was going to do broadcast from the bunker today, but I had meetings uh, up in Buckhead and couldn't get home. Traffic is terrible all over the place, and most of the bad traffic is northbound on 75 as people come out of Florida. We've actually had several people reach out to us to see if uh, they could stay in our guest bedroom because of the situation. And my wife called me and said, when you come home, will you stop by the grocery store and get some water? Because we're all out. Um, all the grocery stores in Macon are sold out of bottled water. There are so many people who have come in from Florida, uh, stayed in hotels. Everybody sold out of water. The tap water is perfectly drinkable, but yet everybody wants bottled water. Um, that's okay. So let me just tell you this. I'll get to the story about the House Freedom Caucus potentially trying to get rid of Paul Ryan. Um, But I will tell you this, when I saw the names of the reporters involved in that story, I treat them as stenographers for leadership. Um, they, these reporters in particular, they're nice people, but they, they will basically write down anything leadership tells them. So when I saw a story that suggested that the House Freedom Caucus members were thinking of trying to get uh, Newt Gingrich or Rick Santorum to serve as Speaker of the House, I was like, this can't be true. Cause one, these people wouldn't talk to those reporters And two, um, those reporters only tell you what leadership wants. And this is a story that puts the Freedom Caucus in a bad light because Gingrich and Santorum are terrible people uh, when it comes to their goals. And so they they would be committing suicide if, if they wanted Santorum or Gingrich to be the speaker. So I reached out. I'm friends with um, pretty much every single one of the House Freedom Caucus guys. And I texted several of them, and absolutely every single one of them denied that that was the case. Uh, But we did talk about another issue, and we're all in agreement here. Y'all, listen, it is a foregone conclusion that Republican leaders in the House and the Senate would surrender to Democrats. When the president structured a deal with Nancy Pelosi and uh, Chuck Schumer to extend the debt limit by only three months, all he's doing is short-circuiting the Republicans' ability to surrender. I mean, that's it. He has denied the Republicans a bit of kabuki theater where they would try to look like they were doing a grand and glorious thing like repealing Obamacare only to cave at the last minute. He has saved the American public the spectacle. We should thank him for that. But there is a problem now. And it is a problem that conservatives on Capitol Hill recognize. The problem is this. Do you remember when President Trump blamed the House Freedom Caucus members for the failure to repeal Obamacare? The House legislation did not actually repeal Obamacare, even though they were saying it did. The House Freedom Caucus demanded changes to bring it closer to actual repeal. And House leaders convinced the president to attack the House Freedom Caucus, which he did. 
He went after, by name, people like Mark Meadows and Jim Jordan and others. That's what's going to happen again. Here's why. What the president has done by moving the debt ceiling fight to the end of the year is he has placed the debt ceiling fight on the same timeline as DACA, as the spending bills, and as the debt ceiling, and as tax reform. So you've got the debt ceiling, spending, tax reform, and DACA all now going to happen at the same time. Occasionally in Congress, the stupid party and the evil party get together because there are only two parties in Congress, the stupid party and the evil party. And the stupid party and the evil party, they get together and occasionally they do something that is both stupid and evil. And the press considers it a bipartisan accomplishment. And that's what's going to happen. The Republicans and the Democrats, the stupid and the evil, are going to get together no, and I'm not saying the Democrats are the evil party, although they are the party of death. But nonetheless, um, there are stupid and evil in both sides. They're going to get together. They're going to do something truly terrible. They're going to get rid of the debt ceiling cap altogether. They're going to provide for tax reform that actually raises taxes on the people who, who generate most of the jobs in the country, small businesses. They're going to uh, implement DACA as a legislation permanently. And they're not going to regulate it in any meaningful way. So they're going to cause another crisis of people streaming over the border. They're going to do all of these things. It is predictable because it is what they always do. And then when conservatives try to make changes, what's going to happen is they're going to get blamed because the debt ceiling's got to be raised. The budget must be passed. The, the tax reform has to go through. Conservatives are going to get blamed because they're going to compress everything and try to rush through something bipartisan at the last minute that is definitionally bad. And the president, because he worked with Nancy Pelosi and Chuck Schumer to extend this thing, and by the way, the president, at Nancy Pelosi's request, treat, uh, tweeted out this morning that DACA uh, people under DACA have nothing to worry about. That's what he actually tweeted, that people under DACA, for the next six months, they have nothing to worry about. There will be no enforcement, no action. You can all stay. None of you are going to get deported, criminal record or no. You're okay. He did it because Nancy Pelosi wanted him to. The president is bragging today about his deal with Chuck Schumer and how he got along so well yesterday with the Democrats. Now, we're going to talk about that at the bottom of the hour. There's a real pivot here. Republicans in Congress are screwed because of it. I'll explain that to you. But... What's going to happen is with this compressed legislative calendar at the end of the year, all of these things are viewed by the Republicans and Democrats as must pass in one shape or form. The only people willing to stand up and say it's bad legislation, we should not do this, are the conservatives. They're the ones who are going to get the blame, just like the president blamed them for holding up the Obamacare repeal when all they were trying to do was improve it. This is readily foreseeable. And they know it. I've had several of them admit to me today they've already gone to the White House today and expressed their concern that that's going to happen. They're receiving assurances from the White House that it's not, and none of them believe the White House because you can't. That's a problem.
The phone number here is 404-872-0750, 1-800-WSB-TALK. It is 526 and 56 seconds. Also 73 degrees on Peachtree Street. It is glorious outside. I got to tell you, it is absolutely glorious. I did not want to come inside today. I, in fact, I um, sat up for a while at uh, Octane at the Atlanta Tech Village and sat outside this morning to do my work, and it was near chilly. It was fantastic. I'm loving this weather. Uh, it's not going to last, unfortunately, with with Irma and all the all the people coming up here. So, a buddy of mine just texted me this article, just outraged by this. I think the NBA can get away with this in a way the NFL can't. Um, but uh, NBA Commissioner Adam Silver and the National Basketball Players Association Executive Director Michelle Roberts, uh, that's the, the National Basketball Players Association is the Players Union, they have co-signed a preseason letter to the league's players encouraging them in the pursuit of social consciousness. In the letter... Obviously obtained by uh, the very liberal ESPN, which I'm sure loves this and will give it wall-to-wall coverage and praise. Um, the Silver and Roberts told the players, none of us operate in a vacuum. Critical issues that affect our society also impact you directly. Fortunately, you are not only the world's greatest basketball players. You have real power to make a difference. We want you to know that we'll always be available to help you figure out the most meaningful way. Basically, become political, get active in politics, and speak your mind in the social conscience. Everybody's going to make everything political, including sports. Absolutely ridiculous. My goodness, the Snellville mayor has just been indicted on 66 counts, including tax evasion and theft. My goodness, I was not planning on getting into this story, but a Gwinnett County jury has handed up a 66-count indictment against Tom Witz, the mayor of Snellville. 65 of the charges are felonies. The indictment... Uh, comes after years of investigation by state and local officials accusing Witz of tax evasion, lying on official documents about owning taxes when he ran for both city council and for mayor, improperly allowing his business to perform work for the city and using campaign funds for personal expenses. The only misdemeanor included in the indictment involves the mayor allegedly using 2015 campaign funds on a pornography website. Uh, sounds like Snellville's got a class act for mayor. Oh, wow. Oh, my goodness gracious. <laughs> wow. Oh, my goodness. Um, and as you have heard, Governor Deal has ordered a mandatory evacuation of coastal Georgia. Um, all areas east of I-95 uh, have been ordered to evacuate. That includes Savannah. The mandatory evacuation order includes all of Chatham County. Some parts west of I-95, uh, inside and outside of the Chatham County area. Uh, Appling, Atkinson, Bacon, Brantley, Bryan, Bullock, Burke, Camden, Candler, Charlton, Chatham, Clinch, Coffee, Eccles, Effingham, Emmanuel, Evans, Glenn, Jenkins, Jeff Davis, Liberty, Long, McIntosh, 
Pierce, Screven, Tattnall, Tombs, Trutland, Wayne, and Ware counties are under the evacuation order. Jeff Davis County. When's that going to become the social justice warrior cause du jour to, to change Jeff Davis County to some other name? My goodness gracious. All right. Now, well, I, I can't get into the uh, in, into what I want to talk about yet because I got to I got to give you this hurricane story and just give you a, a just a mad, crazy shout out to Delta Delta. I love you. I have issues with you, but I love you. This was just this was. Well, I can't use the word I want to use, but but Delta showed itself to have aviational testicular fortitude. I'll, I'll put it to you that way. I, I, some of you may may have seen this these images, but so you've got uh, Irma was barreling down on Puerto Rico, and JetBlue and American Airlines uh, diverted at the last minute. Planes that were headed into San Juan uh, forced them out of the area. And the Delta pilot kept going and literally flew between the bands of the hurricane to get people out of Puerto Rico. Delta landed uh, Flight 431, a Boeing 737-900, which, by the way, is a phenomenal airplane, landed in San Juan at 12 p.m. as the storm, as the outer bands were already passing over Puerto Rico, turned the plane around, I mean, landed, taxied, Parked, unloaded, reloaded, refueled, pushed back, taxied, and took off in less than 55 minutes. An amazing turnaround. And then on the way out, you could actually see on the radar, flew through around the spaces of the bands in the clear sky between the bands uh, so that it didn't go through the storm and got everybody back to JFK. I don't know that anybody was actually on the plane going to Puerto Rico. Uh, but they insisted on flying the plane down there and getting all the passengers they could on the plane and out as quickly as possible. Uh, just mad props to Delta for being able to do that. That is phenomenal. That pilot just is awesome. This uh, The traffic, and you know, the problem earlier was that the traffic moving northbound on 75 south of the city was so slow, people headed south were presuming there must be wrecks, and you had all the stinking rubberneckers uh, slowing. By the way, can I just say, as a, a, a Governor Deal I know people on your staff listen to this program, and I know because they text me and email me all the time uh, whenever I say anything good or bad about you. Governor Deal, I I need you to give me a Christmas present this year. I need the power to shoot missiles or bullets or something at the slow asses in the fast lane on 75 because this, and you're just going to have to excuse me for saying it that way, people. I apologize. I cannot contain my rage at the people who are going less than the speed limit in the fast lane on the interstate. And they're backing everybody up. And it's not the blue hairs in the giant Lincoln town cars doing it. It's the 20-something kids texting in the fast lane, holding everyone up. And not only that, they get mad at you when you try to go around them. It is now against the law in Georgia to drive slow in the fast lane, to drive slow in the... It is a passing lane. You're not supposed to drive in that lane anyway. You're supposed to pass the slowpoke in front of you and get back in the center lane or the left lane, whatever it may be. And people don't do it, and they haven't done it because it's never been the law. It is the law in several places. It is now the law in Georgia. It just drives. I. It happened to me today. I was actually on. Um. I was on 75 north of the city, coming into the city, 
had met one of the gubernatorial candidates this morning. And the person was doing 55 miles an hour in the left lane. 55 miles an hour. And had people behind them flashing their lights to try to get them to move. They were too busy texting. These people need to just have a missile shot at their car and blow them up. I mean, we all of us should be empowered with the death penalty to exercise against these people who do this to all of us and tangle traffic because they're too stupid to get out of the left lane. I speak for all of us. I, there is not a person listening right now who disagrees with me. I know you all want to have the power to kill that person. And I do believe that legislatively, the governor could give us that power to exercise capital punishment against the idiots who drive in the left lane below the speed or even at the speed limit. That's the passing lane. You should be going faster than everyone else to pass, not just hanging out there. It just drives me insane, people. It does. I want to make an observation that will just enrage certain people, but I, I'm, I'm going to do it anyway. I'm not the first person to make this observation, but it really is staggering to me that uh, we, we have variable accuracy on the ability to track where a hurricane goes. I mean, the, the, it's going to impact Florida because of its size. Is it going to go slightly to the west of Florida, slightly to the east of Florida, up the center of Florida? We don't know. Uh, and, and they revise every few hours, yet somehow we are the, the people who can't do that. We're supposed to trust them that they can tell us what the temperature on the planet's going to be 100 years from now. I, I, I'm sorry. Call me skeptical. The revision in the path of the storm, however, does right now suggest it may hit Miami and head up the center of Florida. Uh, right now, the eye wall winds of the hurricane are 215 miles per hour. And they're regularly sustained winds of 175 miles an hour. This is a giant, dangerous storm. Uh, and a lot of people are headed to the Atlanta area and north, and traffic is a wreck because of it. Uh, stay tuned. Doug Turnbull is going to bring you up to, there's just mess on the roads, folks. Hang on a second. I'm suddenly about to switch gears, but I got to see something real quick. There's a method to my madness here. Just just bear with. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, okay, okay. So I had mentioned to you, and by the way, it's it's 610. It's Eric Erickson, Atlanta's Evening News. The phone number 404-872-0750, 1-800-WSB-TALK. Uh, yes, a, 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 lots of amens over we should all have the right to blow up the people who are driving slow in the fast lane. Thank you. You don't need to call. I just, I, I accept your amens and, and appreciation that we all recognize the seriousness of this issue. Now, 
I'll, I'll, I'll get to the Dianne Feinstein stuff in, in a minute, but this I just saw this article, and I want to talk about it because I've been meaning to talk about this subject for weeks now, and it just hit the wire. Last night, I, I told you guys you should go to the theater to see it, and, and then I never actually was able to make it to the theater to see it. Uh, Baby Driver, the the movie Baby Driver. Did you see it? Uh, okay, yeah. Um, so Baby Driver is shot in Atlanta. The, the the entire thing is about Atlanta, and it is uh, Edgar Wright, who has done a number of fantastic movies, including, I think, Shaun of the Dead he did, and Hot Fuzz, and uh, a lot of Simon Pegg movies. He was originally going to do Ant-Man, and, and they had creative differences. This movie is basically a two-hour music video of a, of a mixtape. It was... It, I thoroughly enjoyed it. I, I watched it last night. Uh, I really enjoyed it. Uh, it is not for everyone. If you go in recognizing that this movie is basically the entire movie is choreographed around a mixtape instead of the music being choreographed around the movie, it really was well done. Lots of familiar Atlanta scenes in the movie. And it got a 93% on Rotten Tomatoes. There is a story in the New York Times this evening that Hollywood is going to war against Rotten Tomatoes because they are blaming Rotten Tomatoes for their terrible season. They're blaming Rotten Tomatoes for a terrible Hollywood box office. I, I got to tell you guys, uh, I, I really genuinely believe, and I... I Listen, I, I I don't intend to say this with arrogance, and I know it's going to come off that way, uh, but I really genuinely believe that Hollywood could put me on the payroll and I could tell them their movies suck. Because I can generally, like, for example, uh, the Emoji movie. The Emoji Movie is 8% on Rotten Tomatoes, uh, and it was an insidiously stupid movie, and I could have told them that the moment I saw the first preview, and no one in the theater even laughed at the preview. So, the problem for Hollywood is not Rotten Tomatoes. Uh, the problem for Hollywood is they make really awful movies, and they have become dependent on franchises. I mean, did you hear that Apple, Apple, the iPhone maker, and Amazon, the toilet paper delivery service, they are in the bidding for the James Bond franchise. They got to have a, a James Bond franchise. They don't want to make the James Bond movies. They want to make the spinoff movies about the other double O agents and, and Felix Leiter and, and uh, the rest of them. No, I won't go into the names of the women that would get me thrown off the air by the FCC. Nope, can't do it, Miss Galore. Can't do it. <laughs> oh, the things you really shouldn't say. Okay. But they're trying to blame a... Basically, for those of you who, by the way, have no idea what Rotten Tomatoes is, is it's an, a critical score aggravator. 
uh, aggr- aggr- well, it aggravates Hollywood, it aggregator. It takes the scores of the film critics and gives you a percentage. And if it's over 50%, you get a red tomato. If it's under 50%, you get a rotten tomato. And you can tell how good a movie is based on the uh, compilation of critical scores. It seems to me it's not rotten tomatoes that's the problem, but the critics, but it's not even the critics. They also offer a popcorn score. And the popcorn score is what the audiences say. And if you go through Rotten Tomatoes, what you will find is that, by and large, audience scores tend to align fairly well with uh, critical scores, except in a couple cases. And one of those cases is why Rotten Tomatoes is not the problem. 78% of critics liked Al Gore's An Inconvenient Sequel. 78%. But only 48% of the audience did. 87% of the critics liked Captain Underpants, the first epic movie. Only 64% of the audience did. See, that there's they give the audience score, and they don't always align. And there are often times that critics love the movie, and the audience doesn't. And there are plenty of times that critics don't like the movie, and the audience does. In fact, take the Emoji movie, which really, uh, I, I have no desire to even see the movie. The, the, the trailer was so terrible. The Emoji movie, 8% of critics liked it. 41% of the people on Rotten Tomatoes who, who have audience accounts liked it. The movie Leap, uh, 35% of critics, 65% of the audience liked it. So you can go that way if you want. I, I listen. <clears throat> The critics are not the problem, and Rotten Tomatoes is not the problem, and the audience is not the problem. It is Hollywood's problem. I, I got to tell you guys. So there's a guy who used to be in He'll go nameless. Guy who used to be in radio. Traveled all over the country, having uh, local talk shows, tried to do a national show, didn't work out, went back to local radio, moved from this place to that. It's a fairly prominent stations around the country. Never was able to keep a job, always moved somewhere else. And ultimately, he decided it wasn't him. It was the audience. The audience was too stupid to appreciate him. The audience was corrupt. The audience was uh, was, the audience was full of people who loved Donald Trump, and he didn't. And they were corrupted, and and they lacked imagination, and they weren't principled. And he was principled, and he was good, and they didn't appreciate him. It was their fault, not his fault. And now he's the guy the media regularly trots out to savage talk radio. He's the guy who's convinced that someone like me who didn't support the president, who who stood up to the president, who had protesters literally show up at my house to wish me harm, who had people yell at my kids in grocery stores, who had people stake out the station to inform me how they were going to kill me as I came into the station, that somehow I have sold out because, yes, I dare say nice things about the president. That I must have sold out somehow to be able to be on the air and to not be a, a super fan of the president and to have good ratings at a at the the most listened to talk station of the country i've had to have sold my soul and and he was pure and you get the sense from people who are bad at their job and they can't acknowledge that it's them it's not the audience it's not the stations it's not the critics it's not the listeners it's not the meters they're bad and you've got the situation in hollywood Hollywood studios are out of ideas. They cater to the bubble of left-wing groupthink. They don't know how to do a a good religious movie. All the religious movies are terrible. 
They don't know how to do a movie that plays to middle America. They don't know how to do a movie that has a real good character versus a real bad character. Everybody's got to be some sort of nebulous person. And then they blame the critics when the movies fail. They blame the audience when the movies fail. They come up with new stupid technologies like 3D that no one actually wants to go see. And they cannot understand this. You know who the best writers and directors are in Hollywood these days? People not from the United States. It's not the audience that's failed. It's the the American film schools that have failed. They've been so invested in liberal indoctrination, they can't tell a good story. Why? Because in liberalism, there's no truth. And people want to go see truth reflected in a movie, and they're not finding that in the crap Hollywood is serving up. nights like this where I look at the clock and think, where'd the time go? I, I still got a stack of stuff to get through. Um, and this is something else that, uh, if, you know, so I had a conversation this afternoon at uh, one o'clock. I, I met with Greg Dolezal. Uh, you're going to hear about Greg Dolezal. He is running uh, up in Forsyth County for the state Senate. Uh, supremely impressive candidate. Uh, he's actually running for Michael Williams seat. Michael Williams running for governor. Uh, Greg running for Michael's seat. Uh, phenomenal guy. Uh, really, really liked him. Uh, just hit it off well. But he was asking me, he said, well, do you know what you're going to talk about? How do you do show prep? I said, I, nope. He said, well, when do you figure it out? I said, uh, about five o'clock. <laughs> like, but you go on at five This Folks, I tell you, during the show, someone sends me a link and it just completely redirects the energies of this show sometimes. And I apologize, but it is timely, pertinent news all the time. We try to cover the most up-to-date stuff. This, however, The Spectator is a British publication. Uh, it is a British magazine like National Review. And they have a no-resume policy for interns. So they, they hire their interns based on a series of tasks. You submit a, a written uh, essay. You come up with suggestions for articles the magazine should cover. You fact check an existing article. And you submit an audio file to show whether or not you're good at podcasts. And they don't care who you are. If they like all this, they'll get you. Well, they wound up hiring one of their interns is a 40-year-old married mother of three who has not worked in journalism before. Uh, just uh, more of this, please. Well, this breaking news plays into uh, what I was going to talk about. Anyway, there is breaking news actually coming out of Washington, D.C., uh, President Trump's Justice Department has just filed an amicus brief before the Supreme Court on behalf of Jack Phillips. Uh, Jack Phillips is the baker whose case is going before the Supreme Court. Uh, Phillips offered to uh, provide a cake for a same. Yeah, you got to follow the fact pattern. This is what makes this case so unique. Uh, Phillips is a baker in Denver, Colorado. He was approached by a lesbian couple to provide a cake for a same-sex wedding. And he agreed to do it. He would provide a cake for the wedding. But they wanted specific customizations to the cake to celebrate the same-sex wedding. Phillips is known for his artistic cakes in Denver. He actually 
He is well known for making elaborately artistically designed cakes. And Phillips declined to do the design that they wanted. He was willing to provide a cake. He was willing to provide a wedding cake. He was willing to provide a designed wedding cake. But he was not willing to provide the design that they wanted because he is a Christian and cited his deeply held beliefs. Uh, but in Philip's mind, he makes pre-made wedding cakes that anyone can come in and buy and customize themselves. And so he thought if he was going to sell a wedding cake to anyone on the pre-design, he would sell to the lesbian couple, uh, whether he agreed with same-sex marriage or not. And that still wasn't good enough. So they sued. And the Colorado Civil Rights Commission actually compared Jack Phillips to a Nazi collaboration in the Holocaust. That his, his refusing to artistically design a particular cake was akin to collaborating in the killing of Jews. Yes. No, I'm not making that up at all. That actually happened. Now, well, this, the Justice Department uh, under Jeff Sessions has this evening in the last 40 minutes submitted an amicus brief to the Supreme Court in which they claim it would be government intrusion to force someone to use their artistic talents uh, to design things in support of values they do not share, um, that that violates the free expression clause of the free speech clause of the First Amendment. A uh, really big deal because the Obama administration or Hillary would not have done that, I'm sure. Uh, big Supreme Court case now. Uh, headed up there. Uh, we'll see how Anthony Kennedy comes down on that side. And that gets me to what I wanted to talk about the segment, uh, Dianne Feinstein and others. Uh, amazing audio from Dianne Feinstein and the Judiciary Committee uh, regarding the hearing of a potential federal circuit judge. Uh, it, so Dianne Feinstein, I got to play this audio. Charlie, grab this audio for me. Um, uh, where is this? Uh, listen to this audio. When she talks about dogma, she's talking to a judge who is a Catholic and has written about her Catholic faith. It is a female judge who has written about her Catholic faith. And this is Diane Feinstein. When you read your speeches, um, the conclusion one draws is that the dogma lives loudly within you. And that's of concern when you come to big issues that large numbers of people have fought for for years in this country. You're, you're, just listen to the beginning of this again. When you read your speeches, um, the conclusion one draws is that the dogma lives loudly within you. The dogma lives loudly within you. Uh, she was not the only Democrat to take issue with uh, the judge's Catholic faith. Y'all, when there were people who objected to Barack Obama being president because they thought he was a Muslim, Democrats screamed that there is a no-religion test in the Constitution. No one can be denied uh, service in the government because of their religion. The Democrats on the Judiciary Committee are attacking judges for their faith. Uh, Bernie Sanders attacked my friend Russ Vogt. Russ Vogt is now the Deputy Director of the Office of Manage Management and Budget. Russ and his wife Mary have been friends of mine for, gosh, 10, 15 years. 
And Russ wrote at my website, The Resurgent, uh, in defense of Wheaton College and, and being able to uphold their Christian values. And he got attacked by Bernie Sanders for writing in defense of the Christian faith, that he was unqualified to be the director of the Office of Management and Budget for having evangelical Christian beliefs. We have a provision in the Constitution that says there's no religion test, and you have Democrats in Congress attacking Christians for their Christian views. What is the world coming to? Not good, that's for sure. And you have Democrats who will attack Donald Trump for suggesting Hillary Clinton or Elizabeth Warren really don't have the religion they claim, and yet they'll be happy to defend this stuff. Traffic is so bad on the south side, Clark Howard just came in and told me I could stay at his place tonight. Trying to get it really is that bad if you're headed south from the, if you're headed north to the city if you're headed south from the city it's it's not snowpocalypse traffic but it's it's her apocalypse traffic <laughs> oh hermageddon traffic oh my goodness gracious um so let me jump back into the story real quick in in just the minute or so that we have left here is. There is a growing secular hostility to people of faith in this country, and we're starting to see it in elected officials without consequence. Without any consequence. And that is the problem. The, you should, I, I firmly believe that, uh, I don't care what your faith is, you should be able to serve in government. You should be able to work in a tax office. If you are a, a female Muslim who is opposed to offering liquor licenses because you, you believe alcohol is a sin, you should be able to work in the business license office as long as someone else in there is able to, to handle the liquor licenses. I firmly believe that. The government of all people, of all groups, should accommodate the religious choices of its citizens. That's what the First Amendment means. Your your free exercise uh, doesn't mean free belief. It means your ability to live your faith in public. And as long as you're not causing grievous injury to another, you should be able to. And, and having others who can give licenses or bake cakes or whatnot isn't injuring you, despite what you think. Oh, my goodness. The country has lost its mind. It's not a good thing for us long-term, folks. It's not.